Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. But the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody yells, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email address is theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. That's theconfessionals at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. If you want more shows on a weekly basis, on Thursdays, we drop that bonus heater for you. All you got to do is become a member to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit that join button and become a member. And you get access to all the member shows we've ever done and all the ones we will ever do as long as you're a member. And you get access to all that stuff on the Castos app and access to the overtime segments that we do and Tuesday shows ad-free on that Castos app. So if that interests you, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit join and become a member today. Listen, friends, we have a great show coming up here today. This is an overtime episode and the overtime is just as much of a heater as what you're about to hear. We have Shepard Mbalas on the show. Listen, Shepard Mbalas at one time owned one of the biggest websites in the world. And then his life got flipped upside down and he's on the run. He literally is being hunted by the New World Order and he had to leave the country because of it. Now, that said, I want to encourage everybody to listen to this episode, fall in love with Shep and go follow him on his website, intelhub.news, and on his social medias, which will be linked in the description below. He says on this episode that he's being shadow banned. I want to prove him wrong. I want everybody to go follow Shep Mbalas on his social media, Twitter and Instagram, right as you listen to this show. Like I said, the links are in the description below. Also, check out his shop, shepherdembalas.com. That's shepherdembalas.com. There you can get all his gear, and he's also a musician. I don't think we talked about that on this episode. Check out some of his music. His latest album is called Gangstalker 2.0. Gee, I wonder why. 
Maybe because he's experiencing it firsthand. I'm telling you, friends, this is a fantastic episode. In the first half, we're going to talk about his paranormal encounters, which are jaw-dropping. And then in the second half, the overtime, we're going to get into the more sensitive information as to why he's being tracked down and hunted by the New World Order. Okay, today we got a truly special guest on the show, Shepard and Ballas. How you doing, man? And how you been? I'm doing good. So listen, uh, I, we were just talking and uh, I was about to say something to you that I didn't want to say in private. I wanted to say in front of everybody because I, I, it's really, I, it, it's, I cannot believe that you listen to my show. <laughs> like, I, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I guess it was... Um, now, what's what's weird about this story is, for some reason, for a long while, you were off my radar. Like, they weren't displaying... You know how this works. Like, they got to shadow ban anything that has good information, right? So, you weren't on, like, my channels. And I guess it was around the, the Breonna Taylor protest era, um, because I was in Louisville. Um, at the time, I was stuck in martial law reporting over there for my first film and i was with aaron cole who was helping me he's my one of my co-hosts on the shepherd ambella show along with bethany adani and um he was helping me do the film and he goes dude we got to listen to this podcast i i listen to it all the time and he decides to put on we're like driving in between new york and uh, louisville and he puts the episode on with the Enochian technology. And um, it just blew my mind because the way the, um, the guy described it and his, his whole um, story was just like, you couldn't make this stuff up if you tried. And so that really grabbed me and I was fascinated. And I started listening to a lot more of the podcast sense. And, uh, I love the show, man. Yeah. Great job. And also the, uh, the, uh, Hammerling legends is a great show as well. Jeez, man. That's crazy. Like, all right. So, uh, shout out to your friend who, <laughs> who got this whole thing going because I, uh, I, I, I let, me, let me tell the audience. So, uh, Shep, if anybody doesn't know who you are, uh, you're, you, I, you found it in telehub.com, right? Or intelehub.news. No, IntelliHub dot. It was uh, uh it, it originally was um, the IntelHub dot com, and I had some issues with that, so um, it it, it changed to IntelliHub dot com, and now it's IntelliHub dot news because over this, there's a whole long story we could go into a diatribe, but um, it's been pretty crazy. At one time, in IntelliHub dot com. And IntelliHub and theintelhub.com were some of the biggest websites in the world, ranked in the upper 1% traffic tier on the World Wide Web. Um, you know, I think they went between like um, 5,500 and 7,500 on Alexa World, uh, which puts it in the upper 1,000th thousandth percent of the first 1% of the traffic tier. 
Wow. So, um, and that was all done organically. But since then, you know, um, I'm going to say I was one of the world's first shadow band people because um, I was shadow band in 2012 after Bilderberg. And, and uh, my first film, Shade the Motion Picture, uh, we made that. And, and it had the Bilderberg uh, stuff in it and everything. And those Bilderbergers didn't like that at the time. So it prompted them to, um, I literally haven't gained any followers on Facebook or Twitter in the last decade. And uh, Tony, I've, I go on Coast to Coast AM with George Nori. I'm on the Travel Channel with 83 million viewers um, in America Declassified. You know, um, I, I used to go on the um, Alex Jones show in studio. Uh, my reports are on Drudge Report regularly, you know, back in the day. I don't really, I haven't been doing a lot of journalism, stuff like this. But yet, what? You don't gain one follower. Yeah, it, it doesn't it, that doesn't make sense uh, as somebody who isn't I don't believe I'm shadow banned. Maybe I will be after talking to you. Who knows? <laughs> we will see. Oh, it all start. <laughs> uh, let's let's hope not. Because, <laughs> but uh, I can tell you, I mean, I gain followers every day and the confessionals is not even close to the size that you that your website was at one point. And so, well, Tony, think about this. You you know, a website of that stature that IntelliHub used to be, um, it, you know, I could have, for instance, <clears throat> I could put a banner up at the top. I could, I could say, Hey, everyone click on this and follow, follow me on Twitter or whatever. I mean, it's like, you know, obviously I could drive like major traffic right to the, um, the social media if I wanted to. And I have done that and still, you know, nope nothing really changes on that it you know it's almost like i dwindle um and it's just wow. you know yeah it's almost crazy um but i still do it i guess out of fun um but it's it's really not even productive for me um to do it and i kind of just do it to um do it but it's it's really pointless and it's a waste of time because essentially they've got me fully censored now it, it's incredible, man. I, 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 so I, to just like, because what you're saying is that the website's more for fun these days for you. Is that what you're saying? Well, I decided to crank it up recently. I'm going to go try and ramp this shit up because I got a second win. But dude, they wore me out. I mean, I don't know if people know what it really takes to do it at the level. Like, I'm not saying, like, I'm not trying to, brag or say anything it's just like when you have operations and they're of a certain magnitude um there's a lot that goes along with that and um they've ramped up their targeting operations over the the years and i've always like tucked and rolled and maneuvered and dodged and i've been real flexible and because of my um flexibility and my adaptability i've been able to continue on at all times um, and they don't like that but the, let me tell you something it's been you know fairly brutal but i got my second win so now wow i'm good to go uh, all out 
Well, I, that's encouraging to hear because uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I just want to tell the audience and you, like, uh, I found out I, the first time I ever heard of you was when I was driving trucks still and I was podcasting, but I, I was driving truck and I was listening to Clyde Lewis and he had you on. And uh, I remember him talking about uh, your website and I forget what you guys were talking about, but I, I remember, like, I don't do this with everybody. Military movements or something like that. We used to talk about a lot. Um, Jade Helm, stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it was something that really got me going. And, and I, I started like looking at the website and everything like that. And so when uh, you, when, when, when your website and telehub.news shared uh, the Enochian technology episode, uh, 122, like we, we found out because it was sent to us by a lot of people. And it was just like, we, we picked up so much traction on different platforms because you posted that episode and it was, that episode was years old at that point. And so it was very apparent that it was coming from you. And, um, and I remember posting it, like I, I retweeted it or something. And then you commented saying, Hey, let's do something. I'm like, Holy crap, like let, let's go. And and that was that was a while ago, man. It took us a while to get this thing going. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean you're busy, you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing. Um but it's cool to um to uh you know get together and join forces. I saw you go on Tripoli, you know, Sam's a friend of mine as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it's good to uh keep this all going and I went on a um I've been so targeted that I basically went nearly dark with all my contacts and going on podcasts and shows. I popped on like a coast to coast a couple times. Um, and you know, like I just like a couple shows, but like I'm, I'm trying to stay, uh, I've been trying to stay like low key for a while, but like I said, I'm, I'm coming out now. I got that uh, network going and, my show's five days a week now live and uh so i'm just like kind of back in that that groove and i'm just gonna make a push to um basically dominate the new world order awesome listen that that you get you get me listen when i hear you talk man you get me all excited i'm getting i'm getting really riled up right now and the audience is like yes keep doing it because we like tony getting riled up so uh let's let's thank you when you're energetic like that yeah so let's um let's not just brush over this though because you just recently launched embellis uh embellis talk network atn and it's atn.live and it's what it's an online radio uh, station right Right. So, um, you know, with the way, well, season two of my show, um, I came out and we got to episode 10 and then they banned it on. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously we can't do another show because they're just going to keep pulling them. I think they like pulled a couple other ones or something, but they hit me with a strike. And I said, well, also, I don't care about YouTube. Um, I, you know, I have evidence I could show you that would blow your mind of what they've done to my YouTube channel. Um, but um, like behind the scenes, we could look at it sometime. It's crazy. I found some statistics. Um, but, you know, why burn the YouTube channel down and just let it go by the wayside? Because, you know, maybe there's a way I can use it to some extent. Um, so I and 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 then there's there's this like who cares about all these third-party platforms like 
all of these platforms eventually will be owned by BlackRock and Vanguard, theoretically. Um, so, you know, there's just going to be no, um, they're just dwindling, like, you know, these truthers, they'll get on new platforms and then that platform will go by the wayside. So third party is a little bit dangerous. So I set up the network and then that way we can run everything and it's uncensored and, um, we're good to go. And then as everything else collapses, you know, that will take hold hopefully. So like, I'm just hoping that it's kind of like the um, Noah's Ark of the radio or, um, you know, I mean, I think everyone should do this um, and and get like backup things going. You know, anyone that's that's like a um, predominant YouTuber that's putting out a lot of broadcasts or podcaster, you know, start thinking about getting your own streams going so that there's ways for people off these third-party platforms to pick up your broadcast. You know, I absolutely agree. I actually, uh, uh, let's see here, this is 2022. So last year, in the beginning of last year, I had started briefly a show called Rage Against Dystopia. It was just basically me venting and, and being pissed off for once a week. And uh, it, it took too much energy and time to plan, so I dropped it. But the original intent of that was to... Uh, have my I actually purchased my own online radio station and I was going to broadcast only through there. I wasn't even going to promote it anywhere. I, I I was not interested in promoting. I was just going to let it exist. That way, it just was kind of flying under the radar. Um, but then that kind of fell through and stuff because I just didn't have the time to keep up with it. But I totally understand the idea of having something else to back things up. And and it, it, the the thing is, it's just like it doesn't matter what we do as far as. Um, prevent trying to prevent things at some point that if they want to they're going to attack us like even today i mean like you and i were scheduled to do this and we're doing it but it almost didn't happen because another attack came through on you and you know it was just like hey man i don't know if i can do the show today because things are crazy around here and then i called you and sweet talked you into talking to me so <laughs> yeah i figured you know what i deal with this shit every day anyways but um <sighs> Yeah, I mean, when we get into the targeting, I can break down some of the real uh, deal targeting operations and how and why they they do it or whatever. But um, yeah, there's there's real deal targeting, and they're using uh, private companies in a lot of cases to do it and carry it out. And then the elite, in turn, own these private companies, which get makes them privy to insider dossier type information that gang stalkers and targeting agents and officers conduct and also u.s tax dollars through the cia and other programs they hire private targeting um companies which are linked to fusion centers and all sorts of stuff like that and uh basically go out to uh criminals they've blackmailed and um certain people that do gang stalking activities and conduct operations um and they use tax dollars to do it and then that funnels those tax dollars into the coffers of their 
uh, organization. Man. All right. Well, let's let what we're going to do. I want to let the audience know we're 15 minutes in this, this random, just talking back and forth thing. Uh, we do have a goal and in, in a, in a direction for today's show. So uh, I want to let the people know this is going to be an overtime show. I have no idea how long the overtime is going to be. We're going to go in on things that, you know, are sent more sensitive information that we, uh, we're putting up for the overtime for the members. Um, but you have some, uh, well, uh, quite a few paranormal type topics to talk about. I, I was actually stunned by some of them. So I want the audience know kind of the direction we're going and, uh, and then we'll get, we'll get, uh, cracking here on some of these things. So, um, you said you weren't sure in the beginning, like if you wanted to kind of, if we wanted to hit on this first or what, but we, we'll probably will. We'll talk about the three entities when you were younger, around four. Uh, but then you also have three extremely close encounters, uh, two were with high school friends, a dogman experience. And what I find very interesting is the van, the vampire coven where you were lured into a coven in a nightclub deep underground. And I was just like, what the heck? And so I was like, the life of Shep and Ballas is amazing. Let's go. <laughs> so, well, And I didn't even tell you the half of it because these are the only things I'm, I'm talking about right now. But um, dude, um, I've had a strange life. Um, when I was, um, when I was younger, you know, I was born in a uh, little rock, Arkansas. And if anyone knows anything about Little Rock, you know, I lived in West Little Rock. And uh, if you've seen the documentary Banging in Little Rock, this was, you know, in the early 80s, probably around like 82. Um, so it was basically like if you imagine Compton, California, that's my neighborhood. And, you know, they used to have gunfights out front. Um, my grandma's car had bullet holes in it. I've witnessed a full-on breakdancer crews like have breakoffs on like six foot by six foot pieces of linoleum, um, playing uh, Houdini's jam on it. You know when that was hot. So yeah. like that's the era. Um, we lived at my grandma's house, and it was set up like a duplex. It was actually my aunt's house, but, but my grandma stayed there as well, and then we had half of it and, um, uh, you know, my mom and dad and I, and, I, um, I was real young. I think I was about four at the time, maybe like three and a half ish or just about four. And, um, I went to sleep one night, um, woke up in the middle of the night and I, I slept by this window that was facing the front street, which there was a lot of, um, gang activity and shit going on. If you can imagine South Central Los Angeles at one in the morning, that is um, the sounds that are emitting from outside right there. There's barred windows. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's people walking by with ghetto blasters on their shoulders. Um, obviously like probably drug activity going on stuff like that and um so i wake up in the middle of the night and i look over toward my closet and i had a fairly big room and there's what at the time i thought were three ghosts or i guess they could have been ghosts um you know i'm pretty sure they were something um so i'm gonna call them three entities and 
you know, the way they appeared to me um, was almost like your classic, um, like Scooby Doo, like uh, cartoon type ghost, the kind with like the white sheet type yeah. thing, but but not really. But um, they kind of appeared to be. Um, faint white like that uh um not totally ghostly but uh, not totally materialized is how i um i remember it and um there was more detail it was like they were hooded or something but basically my mind at the time at that age i took it you know like i tried to explain it to my mom like it was like those ghosts you know um like that type that you see on like cartoons and so it's what happened was I got so scared that I was basically just like nearly frozen in fear, you know, and I was debating whether I should uh, like, do I run into my parents' room, which was down the hall. So I would have had to run out the door of my bedroom. And to do that, I have, I, I have to run by the ghost. And um, it took a lot of courage and I, I built up the courage and the ghosts were still there after minutes. Um, and I ran by them and I ran down the hall and I got my mom and I said, you know, Hey, there's ghosts in my room or something. And, uh, you know, I remember this, uh, I was like, you know, telling her like, uh, she's like, Oh, there's no ghosts in there. You know, she's like walking me back down the hall and I didn't even want to go back in that room. And I thought it was crazy. Right. And I'm like, no. And I think I like even closed my eyes. Like when I was entering the room and she like pulled me over toward the bed and like put me back down. She's like, you know, there's no ghosts. And uh, you probably like had a dream or, you know, she's telling me all this general stuff like a mother would tell their kid, I'm sure, to comfort them. And um, after like probably like, I don't know, five, eight minutes or something, um, I built up enough courage and uh, she had talked me into it. And she's like, you know, See, you know, you you can look over there now. You know, she's probably trying to get back to bed or something. So she's like trying to talk me out of it. And she's like, you know, there's no ghost. See, you know, and I'm like, oh, really? You know, and and so I like open my eyes and like look into the room and these entities, they're still there. And she's not seeing them. And <laughs> that's when I just like, I was so scared. I remember turning, um, my back to those ghosts or or those entities and um facing toward the window and literally basically just laying there in fear the rest of the night awake and um so that was my um first like you know strange thing that happened that's gotta be terrifying as a kid to run to mom for safety mom says no there's nothing there she walks you back and she doesn't see what's still there in the room. Yeah, you know, um, that was, that was, um, I, I clearly remember this and I, and I, I know I wasn't hallucinating it, but like I said, it was like some minutes that it took her to talk me through this and I built up the courage to look. And of course, these things are supposed to be gone and they're not there. And, you know, but no, they were still there. Um, yeah, and that was, um, that's tripped me out throughout the years, you know, when I think back on this, cause this has come up, I mean, like 
I've talked about this with my mom and dad and um, it's come up in my mind over the years quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they were still there. That's crazy. Yeah, it's definitely crazy. Uh, do you think that was a, a, a situation? Like I, sometimes I talk about it on the show where uh, I wonder if there was like marker points in people's lives that uh, kind of marked them or was a sign of things to come. Do you think like early on, you're like four years old around that age? I mean, do you think that was like uh, whatever that was, was almost like an omen for the rest of your life? Because I mean, your life has turned into something that should be made into movies. Well, um, I didn't know it at the time, you know. Um, but now that I look back on it, I'm starting to question some of that and trying to really like dig in and remember, um, you know, that um, even more. Um, I, it would definitely was a marker, um, but I don't think it was like a. Um, it could potentially be part of the same series of events that have happened in my life, or um, you know, maybe I'm just susceptible to certain things or something. But yeah, it definitely, obviously, was like some type of um, marker. I just don't know if it's. Um, I'm starting to think that that could be connected to some of this other stuff. But um, I've just now kind of come to that realization that that's possible. Uh, well, I definitely think it's possible and uh, in some cases probable. Uh, and so I, maybe we'll have a better clear image and understanding as we uh, get to know you on the paranormal end of things. Uh, I, I've never heard you talk about paranormal things before. So this is all new to me. I don't know if you've been on other people like, you know, coast to coast talking about this stuff, but this is all very new to me. So um, I'm no, very... I, uh, I, um... I haven't really told anyone this this type of stuff. I mean, everybody knows you for the other stuff. They're like, "Hey, tell me about how you're being hunted right now." Because right now, you're like one of the most hunted, if not the the most hunted journalist in the in the world. And so it, it's one of those things where people want to talk to you about that stuff. I'm like, "Yo, how about we talk about your dog man encounter?" You know? So yeah, yeah um, that's that's cool though. Um, I I um, I think this would be great, and you know, maybe uh, it helps. Some people piece some things together or, or maybe we can figure out uh, something out of it, you know. Okay, for our first sponsor, we have ExpressVPN. And ExpressVPN is a great sponsor for today's guest because... You know, when we have the most hunted journalist in the world on the show, it's good to talk about security and ExpressVPN does that for your services of internet in your home, at work, and on the go. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers. So your ISP, I don't know what that stands for, but it's an internet term. ISP. Your ISP can't see the sites you visit. Listen, ExpressVPN also keeps your information encrypted. Everybody knows what encrypted means, but how does it work? We don't freaking know. That's why we let ExpressVPN do all the encrypting because we don't freaking know how to do it ourselves. And that is why I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. And listen, I just found... Actually, let me rewind. Rewind. I don't use it on all my devices. I will be using it on all my devices because ExpressVPN also can go onto your smart TV. Didn't know that. 
Didn't know that. I know it goes on the computer. I know it goes on the phones. Check, check. Didn't know it worked for the smart TV as well, but it does. So protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by Business Insider. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash confess, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash confess, expressvpn.com slash confess to learn more. Let's move into the uh, the uh, close encounters and two of them with high school friends. And when you said close encounters, uh, just so people understand, like, I mean, you, you told me like basically a list of things that you, you, you could talk about. And that's all I know going into this. And I like it that way. Um, and so you, when you say close encounters, are you talking about more like extraterrestrial type close encounters? Well, um, well, we can get into it, I guess. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, really extremely close encounters to the point of um when you see uh well you know i guess let's just get into the stories so we can just go through it in sequence so um i was uh, about 15 years old and we moved that summer i guess uh let's see i guess i just would have turned about 15 so um over the summer, we moved um, to a different like county in Washington State in a town, and it was more out of the city. And um, you know, I didn't know what to expect or anything, and I didn't have any friends there or know anyone. And and since it was in the summer, um, I didn't know anyone. And I would walk around the neighborhood with my parents, and we would check it out. And there'd be like uh, kids my age and stuff. And, um, you know, so I knew, well, there's some, there's some kids that live around here. Maybe I can make some friends or something. And I started hanging out with, um, a couple of the local kids before school, you know, started the next year. And then I got enrolled in school and I somehow met up with these, um, a couple of friends of mine ended up being into motorcycle racing and motocross. And I got into that and started training and learn how to ride and all that and um i was real active in that um and i i guess it was about halfway through that school year i um i was sleeping one night and and out in outside my uh well well let me back up before that um one of my dad's friends someone he had met that he had um i think the guy was like a painter and he had done some work at our house and he got to talking with my dad and um he somehow it came out that uh, his daughter had seen a ufo with her friends like right in the neighborhood and my dad and i are fascinated with ufos and we always have been we've lived in like i lived in gulf breeze florida where the gulf breeze ufo cases happened um and I guess because of that, uh, and we heard about that, like we got into UFOs a little bit and, you know, it was a thing you'd see like on unsolved mysteries. It's not like I was like way into it, but like I was aware 
there's UFOs, there's, there's, there's this thing called UFOs, you know, are they government, you know, how are they hiding it from us? I would watch these, um, crazy shows back in the eighties when I was a kid and they talked about feeding that alien strawberry ice cream and all this propaganda stuff, probably, um, you know, anything like that, but I wasn't like a UFO buff or anything. I just thought it was like fascinating. Um, and so we heard that, you know, other people in the neighborhood saw, um, UFOs. So, um, one night I was sleeping and I was about 15 and I woke up, something woke me up and, and I, um, look out my window cause the blinds were open and I had those mini blinds and they were open and there was a tree out in our front yard. And I would say the tree was 25 feet away from my window. And I was another eight feet back from the window where my bed was or whatever. So, um, I saw these lights swirling in the yard and it, and I woke up, it wasn't a dream. This was really going on. I was kind of like, well, this is like weird. Like what the heck? Um, and all of a sudden this, this like round, what I'm going to say was like a, an alien probe or, I mean, it's not like it, it was, <laughs> I'm going to say it was a, alien probe is my best guess um it was about two and a half to three feet in diameter i could tell that because i could easily scale it because when it it came from left to right into my window and it was in between the tree and my window so it's real easy for me to say you know it's one thing if someone says they seen like a alien probe it's like a round sphere it's metallic and it's floating in the sky i mean it might be like a mile back i mean like we don't know this thing was in my front yard okay and there was lights swirling in my front yard it moves into in front of the tree and i remember exactly um thinking holy shit that's a ufo right so like my mind at that point i saw metal I saw um, that it's in front of that tree. I saw swirling lights and there was, I don't, I don't know if there was sound, but something woke me up. So I'm assuming sound woke me up um, or, or maybe just the bright light. I don't know. Um, I don't remember sound during this, but I remember, holy shit, that's a UFO. And the second that I thought that that thing you know, veered about three foot over in my window and it was about halfway in between the tree and my window and it shot a blue beam into me. But see, at the same time, about, the, I forgot to tell this part, when when I was approaching the part where I go, holy crap, that's a UFO. I was already in the process of sitting up because I was so stunned. So I was basically at a 45 degree angle in my bed. And... I got hit with this blue light came right through my window and it paralyzed me and it, fuck, um, it, it paralyzed me. It was like the worst thing you could imagine. Um, if people have experienced sleep paralysis, I don't, I imagine this is far different. Um, 
it was like I was in, um, frozen into a block of ice. And um, as if my body, I was so scared and terrified and I was so alert of what's going on in my mind. And I was like, that's a UFO. Boom, got hit with that light. Every part of my body, and I was at a 45 degree angle, was completely paralyzed and stopped and frozen. Yet my mind was so full on that I remember thinking, like, I gotta, I gotta move. Like, ah, like I'm trying, I'm using every bit of brain processing power and muscle and fiber and couldn't even twitch a hair on my body. Couldn't even move one muscle, but it, but, but it was like you just wanted to jump out of your body or skin from the horror of this, and then that's all I remember. And then I remember being back in my bed, and that wasn't happening. Now, keep in mind. I'm 15 years old and I was a fully functional 15 year old, like full on, almost like adult. Like I was riding motocross. Um, I was, um, you know, I was able to go tens of miles from the house at age 15, you know, like anything I wanted to do. I mean, um, well, I mean, at even like age nine or something, you know, so like I was, I was um, not really scared of anything. Um, I was a very ballsy kid that was always in competition with my friends that were adrenaline junkies. And we'd always be trying to do, you know, I felt like I was one of the first like free runners or um, parkour type people or like um, uh, Travis Pastrana's, you know, like we, we were experimenting with stuff like this not quite to suit ultra extreme levels yet at age 15, but at 16 and 17, like it got pretty crazy. But, um, you know, I wasn't scared of anything. Well, I was so terrified that I went into my parents' room and I, and I'm like telling my parents, like in the middle of the night, I'm like, I'm sleeping right here. Like I grabbed my blanket. I I slept like right on the floor. I told them I was like scared shitless. I don't think they were listening to me. I woke up the next morning. I was on the floor. I remembered all this. And so for me to um, be that terrifying and um, do that, like is pretty um, odd, you know? So like something definitely occurred. Uh, that is terrifying. And that was your first close encounter. Uh, and th- that was happening right at the time that you guys were hearing about these sightings and stuff. Uh, do you, did you ever, I mean, all right, well, I guess maybe this will fill in with the next two experiences, but, uh, my thought was, you know, were there other people talking about this stuff happening? I mean, were, were there kids at school talking about seeing things like this and this happening to them? I, I'm curious as to if this was a, a target of you or a target of the local people or what? Okay, so um, what I didn't tell you yet is prior to that, um, my dad was like a handyman type dude, right? So um, he had his own like handyman thing going on. 
And some lady on the back road, President Point Road, off of Jefferson Point, this is in Kingston, Washington, um, had called for him to do work on the property, like repair and painting and cleaning and yard work. You know, I don't know. I think they were like remodeling or something. And um, I, because I showed up and I got access to this property because of this. And so um, it ended up being this place that this lady had um, took over from the military or bought in an auction or something like that. And it was a naval degaussing station where they demagnetize military ships so that mines don't stick to them, supposedly. And there was, I got to go onto that property when my dad did that job. And I remember like tripping on it. And I remember my um, dad asking some questions. And I think that we were talking about it and it seemed odd. And it seemed odd that the military had that. And there were railroad tracks that like went out into the water from there. And I thought that was real weird. And uh, so jumping forward, Later, years later, my uh, one of my friends, his dad was a ferry captain on, on those big Washington State ferries, and he knew all the depth charts and everything. And he, we ended up telling him all these UFO stories later, which I'm going to be telling about. And that's how we got into this. And he said, "Well, you know, there's a a no depth hole right off of Jefferson Point, right where that naval the gossing station is." We're like, no depth. He's like, yeah, dude, like, look it up on the tide charts. He goes, I've known about this for a long time. It means they have never found the bottom to that hole. Wow. Now the military was there, and then this became a private installation. So, okay, and then you asked, did kids talk about this stuff? So I became friends with a lot of the kids in the neighborhood, and Certain, we would hang around in certain cliques and some of those friends would hang around with some of the other friends, but then some of, you know, people wouldn't. And so you heard stories through the grapevine from your close friend that was hanging out with another friend. So my close friend, Roy, um, they had snuck out one night and cause like we were all like hoodlums and shit back then, you know, we would do like stupid shit. Um, you know, go sneak out and drink or like, you know, there was just like crazy shit going on. So, um, we, uh, Roy told me, he said, um, yeah, I was with Russell and, them, and we were back on this, this, this one road back by the sand pits and all these, uh, lights started swirling around in the sky and there was like this noise and, you know, they were like real scared by it. They, um, because later on, I talked to that Russell dude, and like they they were like they were definitely like shooken up by it. And later, we rehashed this story because of Roy was with me during one of the encounters, and Roy's family had encounters. So, like as I started having more encounters, we started actually investigating this stuff, and it started getting like crazy. But um, so we heard about um, I heard about like Roy's story. And, um, later on after, um, after some of these encounters that I had, Roy started telling me about the encounters that his family had. Um, but, but I'm going to tell him now because 
they preceded all of this stuff, you know, but I found out about him after my encounters and his mom told me, his dad told me, um, his sister. So these things like happened. Um, one thing was Roy's dad was a, a metal worker in Seattle and he had to ride the ferry across from Kingston to Seattle every morning at like 5 a.m. And he worked on those high rides and he wouldn't come back. Oh yeah, that's right. He wouldn't come back for the whole week. So he would stay over there in a hotel and then come back because that was like the way to do it. And so he left. It was a Monday morning because this would have been a Monday because that's why he was leaving the house. And it was um, 4.30 in the morning. He's leaving on that President Point Road, right where that Degazing station is. Roy lived right where that Degazing station is, but on the other side of the road from that, basically, and just like a 500 feet down or something like that, you know? And um, so his dad's pulling out of there and he's, uh, gets, he thinks he's getting pulled over. And, you know, it's 4.30 in the morning. This guy, he was a big drinker um at night because he's a construction guy but he's totally coherent in the morning and a full-on construction worker working on high-rise metal work in the day so he's like not hallucinating or anything but he's like thinks he's getting pulled over he sees these swirling lights and he actually pulls over and um then he's like wait a minute like are these in the back of my truck like i don't see the cop car he's like what the hell and um and then he realizes like these lights are swirling like in the back of his truck. Whoa. And it just like, yeah, he just like floors it and gets out of there. And, you know, I don't know if anything happened like with missing time or anything. That's just basically how that story went. Now, um, Roy and his sister and his mom, they all smoked cigarettes. We all smoked back, back in the day, like camel lights and all that. Roy smoked uh, Marlboro Reds. And um, his mom would even like buy him cigarettes. It was like well-known, like we smoked. So they would just go to the store for cigarettes and shit. Like the mom would just like buy them. And um, they go, I found out about this later, but I, I talked to them all separately. And they all tell the same story. Um, they went to the store for cigarettes, and it was Roy, his sister, and his mom. And they're coming back to the house. And the uh, town was like seven miles away. So um, they go to the local little um, mart thing or whatever, come back, and they get to where this, the gauzing station is because they got to pass it to get to their house, you know, and, and then their house is like, just down the way and like on the other side of the road. When they get to that corner, they say these, that the whole car filled up with blue light. They all say this, the whole car filled up with blue light. And then um, they say they started like arguing, like, like, what is it? You know, like, or something, you know, like they remember like commotion. They were all like scared. And then the next thing they know, they were driving up their driveway. And they were like going in the house and they got home and, you know, I don't know the exact hours that they said, but basically like if they went to the store at like 1030 at night, it was like 230 in the morning, all of a sudden. 
And they, and this just boggled them and bothered them. And this never came out until even as Roy being my friend until later when me and Roy had a major encounter. Uh, and then like we started investigating this shit, but that's, so those are, are some of the, um, stories that went around in the area now another story that went around was set like about 17 miles to the west from there is this uh naval submarine base banger in banger uh washington and a lot of the um people that i talked to in the area thought that was like some secret underwater ufo base so like People were like honing in on this. There was obviously some kind of talk and chatter. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a couple more encounters, and then also there's the uh, Sedona Vortex encounter we can talk about. You might want to write that down. But um, yeah, I will. And then uh, um, okay, so um, the it's speculated that this is like some kind of um, joint alien human base and there's underwater activity there and it's 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 a naval it's a nuclear submarine base i've heard that people have seen ufos coming out of the water there you know so um these are the kind of stories that that like i heard now um i was with my friend uh jeremiah one night we were in my car i had a like a low rider with um we had like uh like roadster wire wheels or something because like back then it was like um we were in the era where it was like cool to have low riders and where i lived and um i guess like rap music was at an all-time high you know it was like yeah. a crazy uh time life was good yeah it was like it was interesting you know um so so um you know we're, we're basically um out late for some reason um, probably had school the next day and we were driving back from town, except, uh, I didn't, I decided not to veer off on this, uh, one road to the left, I guess to kill some more time or something before we went home, um, or something like that, because it, I don't know why we would be going the way we were at the time we were i and i don't remember going to like a friend's house so i'm i'm thinking like we were gonna just drive around we were listening to music or something testing out the stereo a little bit longer and then we were gonna loop back and go home um and i started to make this uh curve on this road and my friend jeremiah was with me and jeremiah and my friend roy who i was just telling you about and his family we were all friends um so I was I was with Jeremiah and um we, we started to make this corner. We were probably doing about 50 miles an hour. I probably slowed down to about 40. And as we start taking this rounding kind of corner to the right, which would be to the west, and this road ends up heading due west and it goes miles, and then there's like a tree line where evergreen trees start, because it's the beginning of the sand pits where we used to ride and practice to race motocross the races and all that um so we um we were turning and and we see uh flash 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 to the left through the car window 
And I know that I say we because I know that Jeremiah saw it too because I could see on my peripheral that he he reacted with me and like turned at the same time. And I was basically like, what's that? You know? And it's like flash, flash, flash. It's like super intense. Um, what it ended up being is it ended up being a uh, spherical UFO um, that was just fully lit up. So in this particular case, I didn't, I couldn't see any detail on the um, on the craft or anything. This was just fully super ultra bright. Um, Fifty, you know. I'm gonna say um, fifty to a hundred foot in diameter sphere of light, and uh, the, what the flash was, it was just it's because this thing was above the treetops, and as we were turning right around that corner to go down a straight road that obviously has no trees in front of it then, and it's just a straight road for the next two miles before there's a wood line. Um, the flash was because it was such intense light. It was coming down through the trees and the treetops that it was flashing every time like a tree would be in the way. It would block the light. But every time there was an, a gap opening, the light was so intense, it just looked like a strobe light. So it was ultra bright, right? And and so we we slow down for the corner a little, and then I start accelerating again for that long straightaway. Probably I was probably going to go like sixty or something. So I'm I'm like driving about fifty ish, and um, this thing then is directly over the car, and I don't know that, but I kind of know that that's the angle it's going, and it's now flying parallel west down this road, but it's directly over the car, and the whole car's lit up, but we can't see this thing. And then it it's probably going about a hundred miles an hour, and I'm going about sixty. And there's no noise. It's thirty feet above the car, and now we can see it. It's right above us. We start seeing it through the sunroof and through the front windshield. It's thirty feet above us. It's flying in this exact line of the road we're in, and it's flying double our speed. And it goes all the way down to the end of the road, and we get you know further down probably you know a half more mile or a mile and then that thing crests over the tree line so 17 miles from there i didn't think about this at the time um but this is going to be like key later but i knew this and i kind of did think about it at the time but i put a lot more together later um that exact <laughs> that exact road if you follow that road which you can't because there's trees there and if you're like on a google map and you follow that road over exactly and you don't deviate off that road and you go like 15 17 miles over you literally end up exactly on this perfect like surveying platform at Naval Submarine Base Banger, where people say there's UFOs entering and exiting the water. Wow. Now, I didn't find this out until I knew about that, and it was in the back of my mind, but about 
I'm going to say about five to six years ago, it dawned on me because of the next encounter that I'm going to tell you about, that that's an actual flight path. And so I got on Google Earth because of the, I've been privy to have two encounters that followed that same path because I'm going to tell you about another encounter. And I can follow that road perfectly and it hits that base. Um, I am now assuming that that's some type of planned flight path. Um, so yeah, that's, that's that. And then, um, so, um, because of this experience, obviously me and my friend, Jeremiah, we probably start talking to Roy and we, um, in fact, we did, uh, we had a meeting and we had a meeting with all these people that we knew that saw UFOs basically. Um, we, um, you know, and this didn't come about, I mean, this, this happened because me and Roy and Jeremiah were talking about this and we, I don't know if we necessarily like assembled a meeting per se, but we ended up like at a party or something where like all like, you know, it was like Russell was there. It was like a group of people that knew like maybe like Roy's sister. Um, and we started, um, saying, look, if this shit's real and we're like all seeing this, then, uh, we need to be like vigilant. And, um, we made this agreement that during the next thing that we see, we're going to actually go toward it. We're going to try to pursue it. Um, you know, like, like we're going to actively not be scared of it. We're, we're going to like act on it. So, um, I guess that was, um, I was probably about, um, 16 when that last one happened because i was driving so um i'm going to say this next one uh was in 1995 of august i used to know the exact date tony and since then i've met people around the united states started telling them about ufos and they were in this town that day and they saw this thing too wow Okay, now also during this encounter, my friend was with his girlfriend in another vehicle and they saw this at the same time me and my friend saw this. And we're going to talk about that. And I've also talked to them after. And I also talked to that one friend that was with his girlfriend in that car about a year ago. And we rehashed all the details. And um, um, so... I also, at one point, looked up because I remembered the exact date that this happened on. I don't remember the exact date now, but I want to say like August 23rd or 24th, okay? Somehow I started looking up in like MUFON files or something like a decade ago. Like I was like getting like kind of like maybe I should like try and, and I found reports from that day of like the same thing. So, like, it was very weird. Um, okay, so what happened was um, we were coming back from town. I was with Roy, and I was in my car. And we're speeding along. Um, we turn. Um, it, 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 it's dusk out. You know, we're, 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 um, we're driving. We're listening to music. 
Um, there's a faint orange sunset. You know, it's it's light out. It's it's light out. It's not dark, but it's dimming. Um, we turn left down this hill, which is this really long hill um, on um, Jefferson Beach Road, I believe, or or uh, something like that. This hill, um, it goes down like real steep for a ways, and then it and then it kind of levels out and it goes for like, um, the road goes for like another mile and then it curves to the right. And then the road goes for about two miles before it comes to a T and there's evergreen trees on each side of this road. And there's your general easement and setback and all that. And those bar ditches And this in Washington state. And we turn down that hill. And right when we turn down that hill, we see, uh, my friend Jeremiah. And he's driving and he's coming up the hill and he has his girlfriend with him. Well, apparently right then that's when they seen this thing. Now, um, I didn't see anything yet. Roy didn't see anything yet. Now we're coming down this hill. We go another mile. We make the corner. Drive about another three quarters of a mile. And I go, um, I see something in the sky and I don't look at it. And my mind goes, um, it's a helicopter. And I'm driving. I'm probably going like uh, 60. And um, my mind goes, I'm going to say like two seconds later, my mind goes, that's really big. And I go, damn, it's probably one of those Chinook helicopters, those double-bladed ones. I, so I literally had that thought. I had that. Um, I'm still driving. I'm not looking at Roy. But I noticed that's a really big helicopter, and I it's probably a Chinook. And then I go, nope, that's not a Chinook. It's a fucking UFO. And at the same time, my mind thought that. Roy, again, just like Jeremiah, out of the peripheral, I see him look, except he is terrified. He moves his whole body and he bends down and he he's like really honing in on this shit and so am I. And we're like, what? We literally at the same time basically say something to the effect of that's it. That's it. Because we were waiting for this moment. We knew it was going to happen. We knew that we would see the next thing and it would come. And that's when I hit the gas pedal. And what'd you do? Did you follow it? <sighs> Tony, this thing, this thing was so big that I'm going to say it. It was in between a half mile and three quarters of a mile across and we were just seeing the tip of it and I decided to hit the gas pedal that's when Roy just about shit his fucking pants while we speed up we're looking up at this thing and it's not dark yet. 
but it got a whole lot darker. And I could see, um, I could see all the detail on this. Um, I could see all the architecture. It, it, it was alien. And, um, it, um, it was so big that if you can imagine driving down a two lane road and there's evergreen trees on each side, it started, the tip of it started covering the whole road. And, and then, and then it, and then it covered across the whole road. And then the ship just kept coming and it took up the whole skyline from left to right. And it just kept feeding itself to the left. It was, it was probably about, I thought it was lower than it was because it was so big. I thought it was about 300 feet above ground level. It turns out from, from Jeremiah's analysis later from a different vantage point and my vantage point that this thing was probably about 800 feet from ground level, but it was so massive that it was basically like almost Independence Day size. And um, it had compartments. It had architecture. It had ridges, protrusions, um, window-looking things, portals, um, alien architecture. Um, it looked like it looked like something off of the movie Alien versus Predator or something like the 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 outside of the craft itself was um bronzish in color. It looked um extremely high tech and foreign, but it looked crude at the same time and hostile. And it looked, um, the metal was, was scorched and beat up. And it looked like it had entered and exited a thousand atmospheres and just been through hell. And um, it got to the middle part of the craft and there was this milky white elliptical shaped bubble that I'm assuming was its propulsion device. It wasn't making any noise or anything. And it was probably the size of school buses or bigger, you know, like a grouping of like school buses and it was a milky orange white. And then you couldn't see either end of the craft. That was just the middle. Then it just kept feeding itself. Then you saw the other end. And, um, and then we couldn't see it anymore because it, the tree line. And so I was still speeding and, uh, well, I slowed down a little bit. Um, I basically said, fuck it. We're going to the beach. Well, I pinned it and, uh, we got down there like super quick and we got down to the dock. And we're like, where is it? Where is it? And we're like looking and it's over the city of Seattle. And it's like, if you hold your hand out in front of you as far as you can hold it and you hold your finger up. And your finger's a skyscraper in Seattle because we were uh, across the water from Seattle. This thing would be like the size of your whole hand 
it was taking up a mile section of the city cross section and then it it's like it shifted and it went out over mount rainier and we could see it and we um we freaked out you know and um jeremiah was gone because um we saw i was with roy and uh he was with the jeremiah was with his girlfriend and they had seen it when they were going up that hill and they described they saw the full side view and he said it was enormous bigger than a washington state ferry in the sky you know he's saying the same shit i am um you know we've talked about it i know the angles i know its direction of travel where and what it was doing um so that so um later that day we knew jeremiah was back home so um we go over there and we pull up in his driveway and i literally jump out of the car and roy jumps over the car and we like ran up to him we're like jeremiah jeremiah guess what we saw and just like this is how it happened he goes i know a ufo i saw it too remember when i passed you and that's how that all went down um later that night on the local king five news or whatever it is they um they said stay tuned for the alien photograph of the night because surely the whole city saw it you know um so let's say like people must have saw this thing right and um you know even though that happened pretty briefly it's like it just shifted and it was like over in the city um they kept coming back from break stay tuned for alien photograph of the night alien encounter of the night or something you know um something to that effect and we're like no way and then it got to the end of the broadcast and they're wrapping up the news segment and they're like well that's all for today people and they never showed this thing no way what they're gonna show i don't know if they were actually someone got a photo which you would think they maybe did um and i don't know if men in black showed up at the studio and just said nope but that's 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 basically um my my closer encounters jeez dude wow uh that's crazy and so i mean you found that th- that encounter was the one that you found reports of online other people have confirmed that same day seeing that that what you saw right not only that i've talked to people in person before like i bumped into random people in the u.s somehow told them we got talking about where i lived and then i said oh dude i saw a ufo there one time and they're like fuck i saw that too type thing and they told me where they were this happened several times um so several people i met in person saw that jeremiah and his girlfriend saw it separate from us and then roy and myself and i found it in some type of online file wow And for our last sponsor today, we have HelloFresh coming back to the show to share what they have in store for you and your taste buds. HelloFresh is here to make your life a little easier during the fall season with kids going back to school, the holidays all coming up. We're all running around like crazy trying to do Christmas shopping and getting the kids to sporting events and the kids need help with homework and all that fun stuff that we have to do as parents. HelloFresh is here to make your life easier when it comes to getting food ready for the family. They have a lot of different options when it comes to 
different meal plans, but one of the ones that we are all going to need to take advantage of in this time of our lives is the quick and easy meals. They include 20-minute meals, low prep, and easy cleanup options. Take the stress out of meal time with time-saving, no-fuss recipes ready in a snippety snap. And if you're wondering, hey, this sounds like a pain in the butt, it's not a pain in the butt. They have an app you can use, and all you got to do is go in and schedule everything you want. It's all done in a few pushes of a button on your freaking phone screen. It's really that flexible and easy. Just a few taps on the HelloFresh app. Ooh, that rhymed. All right, listen, go to HelloFresh.com slash confessional65. That's confessional65. It's changed. Let's do that again. Go to HelloFresh.com slash confessionals65 and use code confessionals65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Go to HelloFresh.com slash confessional65 and use code confessional65 for 65% off plus free shipping. You described it as alien. Uh, do you, I mean, are you feeling like you said alien? So I'm assuming you mean extraterrestrial. Do you have any thoughts as to the possibility back then? Do you think it could have been our own technology with the information you have of today when they're saying that, you know, we have access to technology? Yeah, that's possible. Like, um, you know, maybe, um, Vigilant Guardian or, or not Vigilant Guardian. Um, I want to, uh, there's a secret space program that, that I looked into one time. Um, but you know, the, um, I would say at minimum it was joint. Um, look, look, it, 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 it didn't look like humans built it. It, it looked, um, it literally looked like something you would see on a Sigourney Weaver aliens movie, the architecture. Wow. So, uh, the, the architecture is what kind of for you makes you feel like this just, this was not from here. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it was, and they had some kind of joint program, the tech was mostly foreign. It wasn't, um, it had been entering and exiting atmospheres and under and oceans and shit. I mean, this thing was scorched and beat up. And like I said, it looked uh, ultra advanced, yet crude, yet hostile. Mm. You know, recently I did uh, an interview with a guy uh, out here in Tennessee, and he talked about seeing... Um, what he believed was a UFO pro uh, projecting lights, uh, basically cloaking itself, making it uh, look transparent. But it was like uh, the stars that he was looking at, they were almost shifting in the sky because it was like the UFO was projecting the lights onto the UFO itself to make it cloak itself. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, they probably have all... Um, one thing I didn't mention about this second UFO. So um, this only came about like seven years ago or something like that i i uh, went and checked on this and that was why i was telling about that one road going that one direction because i know all these roads as a kid and i know where they are it dawned on me and i go and check and sure enough this is the case um that direction that that ufo was flying in in that area 
was that exact same flight path on that exact same road. But we were just two miles over past where that one road was, but because that road ended. So this, this thing still, if you went directly west from where this thing was coming, 17, 18 miles, you would end up right back at that naval submarine base banger. That wow. was questionable. So it, it makes you it makes you wonder, uh, like if it, if that thing was that big and over Seattle, uh, it makes you wonder if it's if it's there a lot more than people realize. If it does have some kind of ability to just kind of be visible, uh, well, or not. I thought about this, Tony. Um, that happened so quick, and even when we drove down to the beach and saw it go over Seattle and then over Mount Rainier, and even going through that experience that i just went through where um that i went through with you where um we were direct we were near (laughs) this thing was so big um that like you know obviously it stayed at a certain level because in washington state there's a lot of tree lines so they got that going on for them. So like how we saw it in that one area. I mean, think about this. Like I saw that and then I re-saw it and my friends saw it because like we saw it down at the beach again. Um, and that still all happened so quick to where it's like, you know, you it's almost like too much to comprehend. So like if these people are seeing it in Seattle, it's almost like it's just so overwhelming and that that was such a quick encounter that it's like you know guarantee a lot of people saw that that's crazy that's crazy man uh yeah i so you know when i hear stories like this i kind of wish that i would see what you guys would see i mean it doesn't seem like your life was in danger but man like so many people saw it. did you all it's like almost as if you could could have like walked around town the next day and just started talking to people and like yeah i saw that and y'all could have just you, you could because like i said i met people around the country that lived in that area that saw that so um you know you definitely could have done that yeah that's crazy well uh i i those things that happened to you when you were in high school uh did yeah. they, did any other encounters happen since then i mean or is it like uh, yeah um several like so um so you know one I, you know it, i would okay this is in between like the kind of encounter that like people are like oh i saw a ufo and it's like a light in the sky and you're like okay well you know i mean it's like it might have been but like we got you know you can't even really prove to yourself what that was this is kind of an in between um thing so like when i was 18 years old i um I, my friend had moved to alaska and um i had always um i was like a motocross racer and everything and pretty ballsy dude so uh i wanted to try commercial fishing and my friends like um you know you could probably get a job up here and i live up here so he lived out in the Aleutians right there on this island called Sandpoint. And um, so I went up there and I got a job as a commercial fisherman, which is a whole book within itself. But um, this one night, so like my dad goes, you better take a camera just because of like these UFO things. My dad goes, you better take a camera. You might see something. And I go, okay. And that's 
basically like why I had a camera was because of that. Now, I rarely took pictures and it was a, one of those disposable cameras that wound with like the film. And um, I don't even know if it would have took a picture now that I think about it um, of this thing really. But um, the weird part of the story is, is we were going back to port the next day after being out at sea for like a while. And um, so I, it was a nice evening and um, it was probably like 1 a.m. and it's still light out. Um, and I decided to burn up all my pictures and I was taking pictures of me and the other crew. And, and I'm like, ah, I ain't going to see no UFO. You know, and that was, it was actually like on my mind because my dad said that. And um, I burn up all the film, you know. And then, um, yep, sure enough, UFO starts popping out of the sky. Uh, what we saw was, and, you know, I don't know what this was, but um, it's a little weird. Um, it was, you know, it was um, this huge, like, cigar-shaped object from the angle I was looking at it at. I guess that means it could have been a disc or something, but it was kind of like a cigar shape. And it was falling out of the sky. And it was like uh, not burning up. It wasn't burning up in the atmosphere. But it was like pitched up. It's like it was like yawed up on the front. Like it pitched up to um, like an eagle would like fan its wings right before it lands. Like it was coming in hot and it said, oh shit. And it like yawed up. And we're like watching this thing. And it's about a mile out. And it's coming down to the water like fast. And um, we're like thinking like, shit, is this going to cause like a tidal wave or something? Like, like what is this? You know, and um, it's like yawed up and then it just like interfaces into the water with no splash. So you saw it go into the water? With no splash. With no splash? Yeah. Wow. So... I've heard people talk about these UFOs going in and out of water. And uh, I, I actually have uh, photographs of one coming out of water. And uh, I, I've posted them throughout the years. Maybe I'll post them again if I remember. Uh, but one thing that I have heard is that the no splash, and they try to understand uh, how that's even possible. And uh, there's this theory that there's some kind of... Um, like literal technology on these crafts that uh, doesn't um, does how do I explain this? It, it doesn't r repel water when it's touched. It actually almost accepts water, and so that when these crafts have this this substance or whatever it is all over the craft, it the water reacts to it in, in in more of an engulfing way than a repelling way. When you saw it go in, did it seem like? It, it, like, like the water is almost like accepting it into it. Yeah, it was like um, almost as if the water was ghostly or something. Like it didn't even affect it. But is what's weird is I felt like it was trying to prevent itself from a crash because of how it like like pitched up like a bird. Wow, that's pretty cool, man. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Like, see, this is the thing, man. Like. I get people on this show that see such cool stuff in life and I'm over here just recording the stuff and I'm feeling like a loser because I don't get to see the stuff you guys see. You'll see it. You'll, you know, um, part of all of this and why I saw more and more is because once you see, 
See, also, I didn't tell you, and people probably know that have seen UFOs or anything. I'm sure it's like the same. I am um, at one point, so it was like after I saw that last one, probably a couple years after that, um, I started really checking in the UFOs because obviously I realized like there's something going on here, you know, like I've seen quite a few. So, um, you know, it made me like check into them even more. Um, and stuff but uh yeah then like the next thing that happened was uh let's see i was about um this was in uh summer of 2001 like august 2001 so before the uh 9-11 and um i owned an electric company i was probably like um i was 23 at the time and some of the employees um you know, I, I, um, I actually, um, um, had like that. My other partner had brought some employees down from Seattle to help us because like we were down in Arizona and, uh, he had another company up there and we like, um, you know, hired them at our company down there and, um, and they stayed in my house for like a while to help us with some projects. And, it was like I got on the internet one time. I wasn't even like an internet guy. Like I didn't even ever go on it um, just to like do like stuff with the uh, company. And um, I somehow got on this website about Sedona and it said there was vortexes there. And yeah, I mean, back then I didn't know anything about the internet. This could have been like Joe Blow's website and there's uh, supposedly vortexes at the at Sedona. And I go, hey, guys, like, check it out. Like, this is what Sedona looks like. Look, there's all these uh, rocks and, like, hey, there's a vortex. And they're like, vortex? Like, whoa, let's go check it out. And uh, this happened to be a work night. Um, and it was already, like, 9 o'clock. And one of the guys was my partner's brother, who was an older man. And then we were all, like, 23-ish you know, the employees, um, that they brought to like my house and they were like staying with me. So, um, we, um, I tell them this story and even the, uh, older guy who was like 50, um, darn, he said, uh, damn, that's like interesting. He was a Jehovah witness, real straight laced dude, you know? Um, and everyone's like, damn, let's drive up there now. And it was like we got all fired up to do this. Like it sounded like like a, a good idea. It sounded like crazy, but we knew we had to work the next day. It's like nine o'clock. It's like a two and a half hour drive to Sedona or something. Um, so we all drive up there and we take this one truck. I only had, took this one work truck and like a couple of the people had to like lay down in the truck bed on the way to Sedona. This is how crazy this was because it was like last minute shit and we only had like one truck there or something. Um, or I don't know why we decided to do that. I guess so we could all ride together, maybe. Like it seems weird now that I think about it. So like we get up there, we pack everyone into this like truck, and then there was like one or two people in the bed of the truck. I remember that. So there was like um Don, the older guy, there was uh Travis, there was Nick, there was my friend Chris, who was my good friend. And then there was this dude, Jonathan, who's, uh, he's no longer with us now. Um, and we, uh, 
we take off and we go to Sedona. And um, Don, uh, the older guy, he had had uh, heart surgery before and he was real weak. And, you know, he was just like um, not an active dude. He was like overweight, a real nice guy, um, real level-headed, straight-laced. We get to Sedona and we show up at this bell rock and we start like hiking everywhere. And like, this is in like, all of a sudden it's like 11 or something at night or maybe even later. And we like get energized to do this and we're doing some hiking, climbing, and we're like lowering Don down over these ledges and he's doing all this shit. And we're like, that's like crazy. Like Don is like scaling down these rock ledges and shit that were like straight up. And he's just like a kid again. It was weird. It was like, he was just like a kid again. And, um, I'm like, Hey, let's go to this other rock now called cathedral rock. And we uh, basically wanted to like get to the top of it. Um, or this like saddle area that we saw. And we get over there. It's like one in the morning. And, then it takes like another hour that we climb up this thing in the middle of the night and there was good moonlight. Um, we might've had a couple of flashlights, but it was good moonlight. Um, and it was rugged terrain. We don't know where any real good trail is. We go to some point and then we're like off the trail and we're like climbing up the side of this like mountain. And then it gets really steep at one point. We're like an hour into it. And we got about, we got about um, 500 feet to get to the crest of this like saddle part. And uh, we're like walking up and all of a sudden out of the mountain, this sound emits right out of the mountain and these lights start swirling in the sky. Not, not ultra high. We're talking like right up on this saddle but like 50 feet up in the air. And so we're talking fairly close. And the sound comes, when I say it comes out of the mountain, it came out of the mountain and it sounded like something like this. Wow, 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 wow. Ultra intense, like, like low range cycling hum noise at exactly the same time that all these swirling lights start up up on this hill that are it's just insane it looks like a ferris wheel of a ufo and it's just crazy and there's immense power with that wow 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 coming out of the mountain and then it just goes and it's like it's like dead silent and then it's like one of these one of these um hollywood movies or something it's just total chaos now i was perfectly calm because obviously because of my other experiences that i've been through i was just like taking this all in and i look around and everyone's in chaos uh they're just like fuck what was it i don't know give me the light Run. you know one guy's ran halfway down the mountain um you know, uh, just total chaos. I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, let's get out of here. They're like, what was it? My one good friend's like, oh, it was just an Indian beating on a drum. You know, so like one guy's mind said, oh, it's just an Indian beating on a drum. That's what that noise was. And he somehow ignored all the UFO activity and all this shit. 
other people are just ready to freak out. One guy's halfway down the mountain. Don's like, holy shit. And I'm like, you, you know, you guys are pussies, man. Like, like what, like what the fuck? Like, let's go up here and see, and see what's going on. And I'm already like, start, I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. And I go, and and then I get, I start walking. I'm going to walk like 200 feet up this, this mountain. It's like steep. And they finally start following me, but they're like lagging behind. And I'm like, okay. And we get it. We close about half the distance. Now we're only like, we're like, we're like 300 feet from the top of the saddle, but it's like steep and it's like rocky. And um, it all starts up again instantly and powerful. Wow, wow, wow. This noise is coming out of the ground. It's just coming out of the ground like boom it's like coming out but there's all these swirling lights like a giant ferris wheel and it's all this shit on the mountain and then i start running towards it as fast as i can i'm climbing this mountain i'm just like and i get up to this i'm about ready to crest this cliff and i'm almost dead from like exertion but i'm like in real good shape back then and i crest this thing and all these lights and i'm like up in it and i'm all lit up and it just nothing it just goes dead and it's dead silent and there was just nothing there and i get up and i crest the ledge and there's a cliff face on the other side and there's not one person there there's nothing there it's just dead silent and i look down and same thing again it's just like chaos like there's like people they're just like one guy's like curled up the the other guy's man man it was i'm telling you it's just an indian on a it's like a primal drum bro like uh, it's a primal drum you know like so we we all leave basically we're like freaked out you know we talk about it the whole way we we get back home it's like five in the morning we don't go to work the next day i think we ended up going to work but it was like 10 and we got like three hours sleep or something and then was like like went and um we talk about this like over and over and don's like super rational like 50 year old dude we're like 23 um but i've had all those other encounters so i maintain composure i actually went toward the thing um everyone had their story it was basically everyone told the same story and it was the same thing and don acknowledged all that and it really happened and it was real um and then you have my one friend that said it was an Indian beating on a drum. <laughs> That's almost comical. It was yeah. an Indian beating on a drum. Yeah. And I guess that's just how he uh, took it. You know, it was just too much. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess so. I, I can understand. I mean, people rationalize things in their own way. Uh, I, I, I don't know how. I mean, I don't know. I don't think I'd be able to rationalize it that way uh, in person, you know. Uh, how do you even think of that in the moment? Like you're seeing what you're seeing. You're like, it's an Indian beating on a drum. I, I know what he's getting at. Um, have you heard those Australian things that are like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Wham. You know, it, it, it had a feel like that to it, but dude, this thing was like full on resonance coming out of the rock, like rumbling the whole like deal, dude. Like, a like, I don't know what it was. Like it was like in the mountain, bro. Like, Wow. That's incredible. And that was Sedona, Arizona. Yeah. That's north of Phoenix, right? Right, right. Now, the are you familiar with the Superstition Mountains? Yeah, yeah. Are, are, are they anywhere near Sedona, do you know of? 
Not, not really. Um, no. Um, but there's, um, things that happen there too. Yeah. I, I hear there's a lot of things that happen there. I, <laughs> one of these days I'd like to actually visit there. I think it'd be kind of fun. Uh, I'm actually going to be heading out to that, that area maybe this month later, later this month for my film that I'm working on. So, um, all right, well, listen, let's, uh, now that we wow that that was incredible. I don't even know how to I don't even know how to transition to any kind of other topic here. Um, but I, I will. I think what we'll do is we will transition into uh, the the dog man encounter. If that's all right with you, yeah, for sure. Um, so in that same, this is what's weird about this dog man thing. Um. This 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 happened in that same area where all those UFO sightings happened um, in Kingston, Washington, in that same neighborhood. And I want to say I was 17 years old, and it was summertime. So it was before I saw that big UFO, and it was after I saw that ball UFO, the sphere with Jeremiah, and. Um, we decided to uh, go camping at down by this beach cliff. It's like a probably a hundred foot tall beach cliff. And to go camping in this spot, you got to walk. Uh, we walked from like my house or something, you know, me and a core group of the guys. And then it was like, um, it was like this other group with this dude, Terry, that we didn't really hang around with. Um, at school but like sometimes we would kick it with them in the neighborhood and they were more like um i would say they were more like uh you know the the outcast of the school they um you know they listened to like pantera and 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 stuff like that wore like a doc martens you know just like and i was in a little different group but like we definitely hung out outside of school to some extent. So he had, um, that this guy, Terry had got some of his friends and we all went camping and, um, to get there, you got to, uh, go down this trail and, and, it, and it kind of follows along the beach cliff, but it's through these real dense woods and you get, you go back about a mile or more. And, um, in some parts of the path, when you go back there, it gets real close to the beach cliff. That's like a hundred feet down, but there's trees there, you know, it's real strong cliff. It looks like it appears like it is at least. And like, I've repelled off that cliff before with one of my friends. Um, but it, um, it, it, at some points it gets within like six to 10 feet of that beach cliff basically and but there's still like brush to one side you know and some trees and then all throughout that's like big trees and stuff and then it opens up into this area where we decided to build a fire and camp and we did this often we were doing this a lot um in fact on this particular night or one of these nights we went we um, all thought it would be most excellent to go walk another two miles down to this summer camp where all the kids were staying you know um probably our age kids uh mixed with like other age kids I, i'm sure it was like a summer camp and it was on the indian reservation this was all on indian reservation property and we decided to um you know do the proper thing at the time was because like we were basically out in the middle of the night uh 
we decided to ring the dinner bell at the uh, at the summer camp. So that Terry dude kicks it off, you know, and then we're going to like run through the camp and like scream and wake everyone up and then like retreat to our, um, to our, uh, camp. Right. And, um, what happened was, uh, that Terry dude rings the dinner bell and he's like, wake up. And he's like, ding, 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 rings this big old like dinner bell. All these camp counselors come out and like, we're running through there and we're like yelling. And then we basically go like a couple miles back or a mile and a half back across this like swampy, like slough beach area up the beach cliff from the backside. There's a trail that goes up it because this was like the other way that we didn't come in. It like kept going down the beach. And then we get back to our um, camp. And uh, what happened was we had the munchies or something and realized we didn't bring enough food. And it's like in the middle of the night. And we're just like, it's probably like three in the morning or something. And I decided to make a food run with um, one of the other um, kids that's like, wasn't part of my close group, but it was, he was one of the friends with Terry. And I can't remember his name, uh, but we went to my house and we were going to bring back a bunch of like canned food and stuff. So like we did this and that took a while. I mean, it was almost, um, I'm, I'm thinking it was like almost uh, morning, but it wasn't getting light yet. So it was still dark by the time we get back. So we probably left at like one thirty or 2. So all this transpired in one night. Um, and we get back to the camp and we brought like some food with us or we were getting back to the camp. We're on the beach trail. We're about um, 200 feet from the fire and everyone's still around and they're like partying and drinking and stuff. And like, you can hear it and we're like, Oh, you know, th- it'd be funny. Let's just, um, let's run in, let's run in, in from where we are and start screaming and just uh, fuck with everyone, basically. So um, we go and 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 we're at a section of this trail that basically gets real close to the cliff. And then from there on, you can see the fire in the distance. You can see them, but we're through some brush and we're still back a ways, and we're on this trail. And uh, to the left is that beach cliff, but there's there's a wooded section there. There's a patch of woods and big trees still um on the left side of the trail and then there's forest on the whole right side of the trail and the trail leads to the opening so we go okay one two three you know we're gonna run like idiots and scream and just be like ah and like surprise them like that was our idea so we take off into a full run and then right about the time we were gonna start screaming um it was like the scene on terminator 2 where Linda Hamilton sees the Terminator and like falls down to her feet, like backwards. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, like we're like in a full on run. And all of a sudden there's what I thought at the time. Um, I guess I could only describe it at the time as a big white wolf, except this wolf is so big that it's massive. And we're in a full out run and we see it like come up or pop up from behind a bush to our left, only like feet away, but it's like in front of us. And 
instantly, me and the guy behind me, you know, full sprint, somehow, like, fell backwards. Like, it was so horrifying. We literally decided to make ourselves crash at a full run and just fall down to our asses and drop the backpacks and everything. And at the same time that we're, like, falling down at, like, a full run on purpose, now we're, like, under this this wolf's like just feet in front of us but it's jumping over us and it's like eight feet high and it takes a leap and it leaps like it leaps like 20 feet and then it leaps like 30 feet and then it leaps like 30 feet and it's just like it gracefully disappears into the woods and that was it jeez and, Holy and, crap. And I thought, uh, okay, so this gets weirder. Now, Indian Reservation, right? Okay, Skinwalker. Okay, great. See, this thing was a physical creature. and But what happened was, like a week later, um, two natives from the reservation come up that back trail, like from that camp area, and they're like drinking, and they see we're like partying, and so they stop, and they like hang out, and like... Um, talk and like party with us real quick and then they like went on their way but what's weird is they were native and one of them out of the blue goes hey have you guys ever heard the story of the white wolf and I said no way I'm like what this guy starts telling a story about how this white wolf protects the reservation now check this out um after all these dog man, so so like I was struggling with this for years because I'm thinking like skinwalker, like white wolf, like what, you know. Um, but after listening to over 400 dog man encounters, I've I really think this thing was a dog man. It, it was phys- physical. It definitely wasn't just some white wolf. And there are from these dog man encounters. There are white dogmen, but they're like almost like rare. Like, I don't know if it's like an albino, but like I would say like one in 150 of the encounters, they talk about a white one. Yes. Uh, I just talked to a guy recently who uh, brought up the different colors of dogmen. And he said that, and he was a native. He's actually from South California and he, he was a Navajo. And he told me that from what he was told that the the ones that are more of a white color are more uh, of the protector type. And that would fall right in line with what you just said. See, isn't this just crazy? Yeah. I'm like, like how bizarre. So like what I've come to terms with recently, only after studying like 400 some plus dogman encounters is like likely it was a dogman. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, yeah. The uh, I had an episode, a couple episodes, but I, one always sticks out in my mind. And it was like episode fifty something years ago when I first started. Uh, I had a lady on, and she had a very uh, at the time seemed very odd encounter with a dog man because uh, it, she she talked about when she was a little girl, she almost had like a relationship with this thing, like it was not like aggressive at all towards her. And uh, and one thing that she described in in that story was that it was a white dog man or maybe like a light gray. And, uh, and so like with this piece of information I have now, I'm like, okay, it's starting to kind of make sense. One thing I've also picked up 
is that it seems like to me at least that these uh, every time I've heard of a peaceful encounter, I and mean, I'm sure there's there, there's stories out there that contradict what I'm about to say, but every time I've personally talked to somebody that had a peaceful encounter, every time that I can recall, it's been when they were a child. And so I don't know if there's something to do with these things and mm-hmm. and the children and uh, them not acting as aggressive, but uh, I, I find that I find it very interesting. Yeah, it is, you know, and uh, I myself, I'm fascinated with the dog man now, you know, even though that was like a brief encounter, um, it's enough to let me know that something exists out there like that, you know, um, um, we had, you know, there's one more story I'll tell. It happened in the same neighborhood at the same house. So we had all these chickens and, and, um, my dad uh, wakes up one morning. No, no, no. My dad has a dream and he tells me about it because like the dream stands out and he's like, man, I had this weird dream. This predator came and killed all of our chickens, but it was weird. I don't know what kind of predator this was. All I know is it had ultra long claws. Like three days later, uh, my dad wakes up and he's like, man, I heard like panting outside all night. And a bunch of commotion. He goes outside. All the chickens are dead. They're like wiped out and like spread across the whole yard. Um, and believe it or not, there was these crazy tracks with these long ass claw marks that I asked my mom and dad about this recently. And they're like, oh, the neighbor said it was a bear. Dude, I remember when the neighbor was telling my dad about this because the neighbor was like a hunter. The neighbor and my dad kind of were like debating if it was a bear. but. Um, it was a weird track and it had long claws. So like, I don't know, you know, I don't know what that was. Um, but you know, it's, it is interesting that that happened in that same neighborhood. Do you think that there's anything to it when it comes to the fact that your dad had a dream and then something happened? Uh, yeah, I can tell you, uh, uh, that's happened several times in his life and, and that I know of. And, I could tell you a crazy story. It's 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 crazy. Um, I don't know if you want to get into it, but basically of course my do. dad has um he had um he he has these dreams and like about three days later this happened on a couple instances, like stuff that never could have came true, like came true. Um, you know, one thing is um when I was younger, we rented this trailer up on this mountain and I was like five years old and it was in Oregon. It was before we, we moved to Washington and this uh, trailer was, uh, they just put it up on this mountain and um, it was a, uh, one of those single wides. Like it wasn't like a little one. It was like a big one. And um, it was on a steep mountain. You had to have like a four by four suburban to, to get up there. And my dad has this dream. He, in the morning, he tells it same same type thing. It stood out, and I remember this. Um, he said, "Hey, um, there's going to be this great wind." You know, he didn't say that. He said, "I had a dream. There was this great wind, and that blew the trailer off the mountain." And he told us about it. And there was like more to it than that. And it was like weird. And I'm like, "That's weird." My dad's never really told his dreams before. And I remember thinking this, I was like five and I'm thinking like, um, like that's weird, right? Well, 
over the next two days, uh, all my dad did, like, it was like weird. It was like something you see on a movie when I think about it now, almost like Noah's Ark or something like, like he was given this message. Like he, he bought one of those tie down kits for the trailer and he started like putting in all those long ground rods and anchors into the ground with jackhammers and like pickaxing and doing like crazy work, like 12 hours a day for like the next two days to tie this trailer down. Now keep in mind, we didn't even live in an area where there was storms or anything like nothing like that was like, it wasn't like known like something was going to happen. Three days later, I get woken up in the middle of the night. My parents are scared shitless and the whole trailer is going to blow off the mountain basically is how I remember it. And uh, my dad even had it tied down. It's ripping all the siding off. Uh, my mom like bundles me up and we get out from the trailer and we make it into the uh, suburban. And it was like brutal. It was like being in like a hurricane or something like get out, get into the suburban. And the way I remembered, I mean, I was a little kid, but it felt like the suburban was dragging around on the ground. The storm was so bad, like as if it was actually like sliding one foot left, sliding forward a foot, you know? So, I don't know. Wow. But so, that's, so that, that kind of stuff has happened uh, with my dad. Wow. So it's like your dad has like almost prophetic dreams, you know? Right. Wow. Wow. Uh, are storms like that common where you were at? No, no, no. That's what I was saying. Like we had no reason to believe this. In fact, they didn't even know the area. So, cause I've talked about this with them like since, you know, and um, yeah, it was just like some freak thing. It was like out of my dad's character to do that. And I've never seen him like be so determined to get these ground rods in and all those, you know, it was just really weird. Wow. That's, that, that, yeah, it is weird. Uh, it also makes me feel like when dad says he dreams something, you should probably pay attention. Yeah, no, I, I do now. Uh, I probably would definitely listen. Does does your dad is this something that he kind of still does today, or do you not really talk about he it? He did a couple times. I can't think of the. He's done this like maybe like three to four times, and it's just like clear cut, you know. Wow. Oh man, crazy, crazy stuff, man. Uh, listen, let's uh, let's move into the overtime segment here uh, for the members where we can really kind of get into more, um, you know, hairy type topics that, that, uh, well, I mean, listen, uh, you, I, I don't know how much information is available to the public and stuff, but let's just put it this way. You, you, your, you, your life is kind of spent on the run these days in a sense. And, uh, we're going to kind of get into a lot more of the, uh, reasoning behind that, uh, in the overtime. But, uh, before we move on to the overtime, I wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of drop for the people again where they can find you and stuff. And let's see if we can uh, we can crack that algorithm when it comes to uh, the censorship. Let's see if we can get some people to follow you. That'd be kind of nice. Yeah, man. Um, well, you know, really uh, my show, you can find it on every podcast platform, the Shepard Ambellis show. Um, but also I started a new network that's uncensored and we're building it right now. It has different shows and hosts. Um, on the network uh, and you can find my show there exclusively it's where it's where we go live every day so the show goes live it has call lines atn.live the ambellus talk network 
atn.live is the web address. You go there. You go there on your phone or mobile device, hit the little um, arrow thing with a square or whatever, and make it like a, a shortcut to your desktop. And then it operates just like an app. And you can even close it out while you're listening to it. So um, check that out. And you can catch uh, every day after the shows go live, they archive and they rebroadcast for until the next show. Awesome. So uh, definitely check it out, everybody. I'm going to put the links in the description of this episode so people can easily find it and stuff. Uh, check out the Shepard and Bella show and hit the links for that. Uh, also check out IntelliHub.news uh, and all the stuff that he's going to be putting on there. He, like you said earlier, you're kind of like you're revamping and kind of got a second wind here and stuff. So I'm kind of excited to see what comes out of your camp here moving forward. Yeah, man. Well, uh, I'm just going to go hard in the in the paint like I usually do, but maybe even harder. Oh my God. Oh, you're speaking my love language. I love it. Uh, so, uh, all right, well, listen, let's uh, start moving into the overtime segment here. And, uh, before we get into the, the hard hitting, uh, sensitive information, we're actually going to cover this in the overtime. We're going to go into the, we're going to start off with this, the, uh, vampire coven. I want to make sure we get that story in for the overtime. Uh, that's, that's something like it, to me that, that sounds almost like something out of like, uh, the movie underworld or something like that. So, uh, I'm excited to hear that. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show. I don't care where you share the show, how you share the show, who you share the show with, just share the show because that is what you do as a good listener to help the show grow. And go leave me a five-star rating review on any podcast playing app. But I prefer you to share a show over doing that. Thank you very much for being here, everybody. You guys are awesome. You're the reason why I breathe. And until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, oh, and the overtime, if you're a member, seriously. Seriously, seriously, get on that overtime now. I promise you, you're going to freaking love it. It's another two hours. I was on the phone with him for four hours. This was a freaking awesome time I had with him. I know you're going to love it. So if you're a member, go check out that overtime right now. And for the rest of you, stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. Bye.
isolation, mountains in the distant scene. Trouble seems to follow me, that's why I pack my name. Orange mixed in the horizon, Texas margarita. This road is long, can't wait to put my feet up. I'm just existing, my thoughts conflicting, paradise shifting. What is resistance? What is transmitting? Always persisting, no coexisting. Back